All your favorite CBC podcasts are now available on YouTube. The best in award-winning true crime investigations, hilarious comedies, vibrant pop culture conversations, and even more audio series are all available on CBC Podcast's YouTube channel. You'll also find exclusive video first episodes, YouTube shorts, and behind-the-scenes content from our hosts and producers that you can't find anywhere else. So if YouTube is your go-to source for podcasts, just search CBC Podcasts and hit subscribe, and you'll never miss the latest update. This is a CBC Podcast. It would be so much easier to talk about Kanye West if he became a recluse, but he's not going to do that, is he? Kanye's back with his new music, but also with his conspiracy theories and anti-Semitic rhetoric. Today on the podcast, a big question. How do you solve a problem like Kanye? I'm Alameen Abdul Mahmoud. This is Commotion. Okay, look, I grew up in the aughts. Kanye West came out when I was in high school. Kanye is always going to be a big deal to me. But also, I can't help but to occasionally think, man, I miss the old Kanye. And obviously, I'm not the only one. I miss the old Kanye, straight from the gold Kanye, chop up the soul Kanye, set on his goals Kanye, I hate the new Kanye, the bad mood Kanye, the always rude Kanye, spazzing the news Kanye, I miss the sweet Kanye, chop up the beats Kanye, I gotta say, at that time I'd like to meet Kanye, see I invented Kanye, it wasn't any Kanye's, and now I look and look around and there's so many Kanye's, I used to love Kanye. I I really did used to love Kanye. What you heard there is self-aware Kanye, right? It's the kind of thing that made him one of the most celebrated rappers and producers of his generation. He's kind of poking fun there at his reputation for unpredictable behavior. At the time, he was whimsical. He was charming sometimes. But in recent years, that behavior has taken some pretty dark turns. Full-on conspiracy theories, full-on anti-Semitic rhetoric. All of this while the quality of the work has gotten worse or at least less consistent. Kanye was supposed to drop an album on Friday, and in true chaotic Kanye fashion, it got delayed. It got delayed maybe because he didn't clear a guest for us. We don't really know the entire story there. Anyway, it might be arriving before the end of the new year. Who knows? But what I've been trying to sit with is this big question, which is that Kanye is someone who has shaped my views and my musical tastes. Kanye has also said things that have hurt people I love. And so what do you do? What do you do with Kanye West? To help answer this question, we've got music journalists Dalton Higgins and Lior Galil. Lior, Dalton, welcome to the show, y'all. How's it going? It's going okay. I'm happy that you guys are here. Uh, Lior, maybe let me start with you. You are in Kanye's hometown of Chicago. You've been covering his career for a lot of years. How has your relationship with his music changed? I've stopped listening to him almost entirely. You know, when he drops a new project, I'll I'll give it a listen because yeah. I have an obligation to. Uh, it's That's part of my world. I, yeah. yeah, I cover Chicago hip hop. I cover a lot of artists who are not going to get covered outside of the city of Chicago. Hmm. And he is, you know, he's an icon. He's somebody that everyone admires. He's somebody who has a lot of power culturally and, you know, outside of the the culture. He is a huge figurehead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is hard for me to reconcile what his music has been and meant to me and what he is saying publicly now. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a Jewish person. I can't, uh, I, I can't sit with this and say, this is okay with me. Yeah. Um, and it's important to acknowledge both all these things when I, when I do write about him, if I feel like I need to write about him. When did you stop listening to Kanye? 
Um, you know, I stopped listening prior to Donda, but I still listen to Donda because yeah, yeah I, I had an obligation to. Um, but really, uh, it was sometime around Yee. Yeah, Dondo was the last project that he put out. That was a 2021. I, who, I can't even remember anymore because the Kanye onslaught of news just means we kind of semi-permanently exist in a Kanye news cycle, which is not a way to live. I cannot, you know, disrecommend this enough. Uh, Dalton, in recent years, Kanye has also done a lot to provoke black people, right? He said that slavery is a choice. He's worn All Lives Matter t-shirts to troll the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, just last week of the Vulture release party, which is supposed to be like his new project that's supposed to come out, um, he performed in a black version of a KKK hood. Uh, as a black man, how do you square these provocations, these these gestures, with an artist whose music you really like, but also with an artist who, at the start of his career, made black liberation at least a part of the story that he was trying to tell? Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, Kanye West is an equal opportunity offender. Um, you know, I think, you know, watching that footage a couple of days ago, you know, for me, it was it was equal parts sad, uh, disappointing. Mm. It, it was actually disturbing and, and somewhat bizarre. And, you know, you know, what you were witnessing there was was the new Kanye, which is obviously not to be confused with the old Kanye. Yes. Where, where the focus uh, used to be on creating life altering music and art. Um, so what happened a couple of days ago was also very predictable. Um, I think the part that really gets me as someone who is black and of African descent is this uh, scene we saw on that 10 to 15 minute rant, it sort of looked like a train wreck. And, you know, it's being broadcast on, on IG Live and real time. And, you know, that's sad, too, because, you know, it looked to me like he was having almost like a psychotic episode. And uh, there's nothing uh, cute or funny about that when we mm -hmm. talk about you know issues tied to mental health. So that's what I saw, this uh, black male figure um, having mm -hmm. what appeared to me to be a bit of a breakdown and everybody uh, sharing it on social media and uh, taking some great joy and delight out of that. So that's saddening to me personally. Yeah, I, uh, I struggle with that a lot, Dalton. I struggle with that a lot because every time that a Kanye rant gets broadcast, I don't look at that and go, oh, I, I see someone who is healthy. I mean, like, he is often yelling at the camera. Um, whoever's holding the camera is often someone who's like very far away from like the center, the epicenter of like who Kanye considers his people. And you kind of go like, this kind of to me looks like an isolated person. However, you can't divorce that from the fact that a lot of people go through very difficult, you know, mental health um, problems without resorting to anti-Semitism, without resorting to outright racism. I mean, in that 10 to 15 minute rant, um, the, the, we couldn't even broadcast a clip from that rant right now because it was just a constant onslaught of racism and constant onslaught of anti-Semitism. How do you square the way that we talk about his mental health with the way that we sort of hold him to account if we do at all, Dalton? Well, I, I think, Elamine, you know, like many, uh, including our group, I mean, our, our interest in Kanye, uh, you know, dating back to his debut album, College Dropout, you know, yeah. all, all the way over to, I'd say, Yeezus. You know, that's when I started checking out. I think it's maybe about a decade ago. Come on. You know, Yeezus was good. <laughs> OK. All right. Continue. Continue. Right? Sorry. Yeah, but but it, our interest in Kanye mostly stemmed from his music output. You know, it's mm. it's, it's high, the high production quality. He's a fantastic producer. You know, it's his rapping. It's, it's his lyricism you know, as he oftentimes has some interesting things to say on the mic. So so many of us, I think, Kanye files, you know, fans, devotees, 
um, stand super fans. We didn't really sign up for this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't care so much about this sideshow Yeezy routine. Um, <laughs> and and what, what I noticed too is uh, most of the focus and attention, it's things having nothing to do with music. Um, we're hearing his uh, issues tied to the poli- you know politics and religion and sportswear companies and child custody. Some of it is illegal. Yeah, yeah. Continue. But the actual music, right? So yeah. that's that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's, uh, Leo, I, we have to say, you know, when a celebrity does or says something that is indefensible, I think the media has a way of just kind of stopping writing about them, stopping giving that person oxygen, right? Like, stop promoting their work. The artist is essentially removed from the conversation, and actually, like, it takes a real long time for those artists to come back into the conversation again. Uh, as Dalton just mentioned, Kanye has clearly meant, has had this like reputational hit as a musical artist for a bunch of albums. They've not been that well reviewed. Um, and yet his every move is still covered by the media. You know, you can have an Instagram influencer in the room holding up a camera and then like, you know, news stations are going to run the clip of everything that he's saying. He's still working with some big name artists and producers. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're still invested in the Kanye sideshow, as Dalton put it? I mean, years ago, he became a celebrity. He's, you know, he crossed over for being somebody who is important because of his once in a generation voice and music Mm. and into being a public figure in part because of his once in a generation voice. Uh, He is he is somebody who whatever he does is going to make the news. And uh, granted, it is at a much more diminished rate now. And we're only seeing it when he does something outlandish Mm. um but that's i mean that is the entire reason why we keep hearing kanye and not kanye because of what the you know what he's doing creatively but kanye because of what he said in a place of oftentimes when he's hurt yeah it can sometimes feel a little bit jarring to me dalton when i think about like that cover of the atlantic you know that called him the american mozart we're talking about i think we're talking 2010 ish or so um that was how we used to talk about him because again the music was kind of up front and center and now all we do is sort of talk about the extraneous stuff i mean even with all of the story about vultures this project that is supposed to drop um we're not people are talking about the packaging people are talking about you know the logo that he designed for vultures and whether it is anti-semitic or not people are talking about what he wore nobody's really talking about the what this project is nobody's really talking about whether the song the one song that we've heard is that good or not why do you why do you think that is dalton how has kanye maintained this magnetic star power even as everything he everything that he's done to basically just drive people away what do you make of that yeah i, I also think you know i would say kanye, i don't think kanye's stupid i don't think he's uh you know or, or i like to look at him i i consider him like an idiot savant you know like he's sort of <laughs> you know equal part genius okay. uh and then on the flip side you know equal part sort of uh you know idiot right but we, we also have to accept that you know Kanye has become kind of like this official, kind of like a shock jock of hip hop, you know? Mm. Um, so, and then maybe it feels like he'll do just about anything to drive attention to himself and his new music. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not an entirely new concept. I mean, we see, you know, Canadian rappers, um, you know, just a couple of weeks ago wearing a bra and saying, you know, things like Canadian music is boring, you know, and everybody's talking about the artist. So, so some artists will do just about anything to get it to drive attention to themselves. And yeah. so it kind of, to me, it kind of reeks of desperation. Uh, as we see a bit of a downward spiral as far as his actual musical output. We talk about the spiraling of the musical output, but I want to play you guys a clip, if you don't mind, because some of his peers have distanced themselves from Kanye. He's still got a lot of powerful people in his corner. Here's something that Timbaland recently said in an interview with DJ Who Kid. I look at Kanye as a teacher, man. Like, 
I love that man. Like just following his personality mm. and the switch ups. Like for me, that's intriguing. He's giving you so much information that some of it might don't dial in correct, but it, it's like, you know how some people, they'll talk from interviews and they're like, you didn't hear him say that? And it's like, because he's like a prophet. Like he's like a, he's a, I ain't gonna say the, a god, but he's like a Zeus or one of those Poseidon, mm-hmm. like Greek gods. So he, he's that. Lior, uh, it is distressing to me. I mean, I think like hearing that clip and hearing Timbaland go, well, not all the information he's saying is correct, but he's kind of like a prophet. Um, I mean, that's nuts. What do you make of the, 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 the fact that Kanye still has all this big name support in his corner? I mean, Tim of 2023 isn't Tim of, you know, the early 2000s. <laughs> okay, uh, that's he, true. That's fair. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, I mostly know Tim these days as the guy who let Tink, who is a Chicago R&B singer who's wildly fantastic, uh, let her just sit on her contract for years and not release anything. Oof. Um, so I think of this in the context of Kanye has praised him at one point and Kanye mm-hmm. is still this beacon. Kanye's, you know, Kanye, even at this point, even at this point of his diminished career, is still someone who creatively is is a figure to look forward to. And mm-hmm. uh I want to be generous towards Timbaland. I want to believe that this is all in the context of Kanye's creative career, creative music, and has nothing to do with what he's saying publicly. But it's also impossible for me to say that. I wish I had been the one to have this conversation so I could say, what do you mean by what do you mean by this? What do you mean by profit? That is a very specific word that Kanye has also used to describe himself while saying really horrendous stuff about all sorts of people. Uh, what Lee are saying subtly and inside uh, between the lines there is maybe don't let DJs host podcasts. Maybe enough of that. I get it, man. 100% <laughs> yeah, there yeah. with you. Right there with you. Dalton, we've got maybe 30 seconds left here. Is there anything possible for Kanye to do, like, that he can do to redeem himself, do you think? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. I think, um, you know, the parts that, you know, just tying back into that, this idea of Kanye being a prophet. I mean, you know, Kanye has political interests. You know, he ran for president. And uh, he befriended arguably the worst U.S. president that uh, there ever was in Donald uh, J. Trump. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, Kanye's not a sociologist. Um, he's not a historian. He's not a race relations expert. Um, so I personally couldn't care less how he views the world in that regard. Um, you know, if I want to learn about uh, racial equality in politics, I, I don't go to a rely on Kanye for insight. I rely, <laughs> uh, you know, I rely on experts. I got to be honest. Right? But I think Kanye, he's an egomaniac. He's a he's a narcissist. He has a God complex. Um, I, I think uh Again, I think the mental health piece, um, because he's saying a lot of things that we need to pay strict attention to. He's saying, I don't care about my life or death. I, I'm by myself. No one's supporting me. That, to me, interprets as, you know, it could be suicidal ideation, mm. psychotic mm. episodes. Those are the parts that I'm paying strict attention to. Uh, that is a lot to sit with. Um, all of this is a lot to sit with. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, guys. Lior, Dalton, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Well, of course, I don't imagine we're done with the Kanye West conversation. Dalton Higgins is a journalist and professor in residence at Toronto Metropolitan University. And Lior, Lior Galil writes about music for the Chicago Reader. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. 
My name is Alameen Abdul Mahmoud, and this is Commotion. All right, look, I don't know if you've been following The Gilded Age from HBO, but last night we had the season finale for the second season. This is a show that is a period drama set in a pivotal moment in American history. It's from Julian Fellows. You know Julian Fellows because he's the same person who brought you Downton Abbey. I want to play you guys a clip. I want to play you a clip from last night's episode. This is from the finale. And the character Agnes Van Ryan, played by Christine Baranski, confronts her son about squandering the family fortune. My son has managed my affairs until now. He will not do so in future. Mama, I don't know how many times I can say I'm sorry. What do I care that you're sorry? You ruin your mother and tip your family into the dirt. I, that's, that's the greatest acting I could possibly have ever witnessed in my entire life. I've heard what could only be considered as mixed reviews of The Gilded Age. Some people absolutely love it. Some people are like, this is objectively just not a good show. But people who watch it cannot stop talking about the show. So with last night's finale, I wanted to talk about more about the show and why viewers are so divided. And here to do that with me, Megan O'Keefe. Megan, welcome to Commotion. How are you, friend? I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm happy that you're here to talk about this show. Listen, I got to ask you about this finale. We're going to try to do this with no spoilers. How are you <laughs> feeling after watching last night's episode? I am feeling glittery. I am feeling glamorous. <laughs> I am feeling luxurious. I'm feeling bejeweled. The Gilded Age <laughs> lets me bejeweled. <laughs> I did so last night. Tell me a little bit more about that. I mean, like, there's there's something about a show where people lose their family fortune and, oh, would you look at that? There's some fortune has manifested itself somewhere else uh, without, again, without getting too much into the detail what do we what do people turn to the Gilded Age for and what did it deliver yesterday? Well, the Gilded Age, as you mentioned up top, is from Julian Fellows, the creator of Downton Abbey. And yeah. I always say the Gilded Age is Downton Abbey on steroids. <laughs> um it Downton Abbey is about like one rich family and one nice house. The Gilded Age is about all the rich families who lived in New York City in the 1880s. Um it's you know, profoundly fun and stupid in a way. The stakes are so low. The I mean, I think last night, besides the, you know, loss of fortune that was immediately restored through a secret uh, wealth that someone had, um, the biggest thing last night, the most high stakes thing that happened was an opera box was switched between two rich ladies. Um, and, the, and the ladies were either really happy about it because they got the box that they wanted or really mad about it because they didn't get the box in the middle. Um, so it's a combination of escapism. And as you also mentioned, the acting is absolutely phenomenal. Um, the set design is exquisite. It's cavernous, you know, grand houses. Um, you have yeah. the broad, who's who of Broadway stars, you know, delivering really juicy monologues. Um, it's just, a, you know, a really great um just delight for the senses. I, I, I got to say, when I'm watching a Julian Fellows show, I am not sure that I'm watching it for the plot even. I'm watching it for like the immersion into the world. And there's something really compelling about the idea that this was set at the beginning of the 1880s. Can you just tell the folks, tell the people why that is such a significant period of time in world history and particularly in American history? It, yeah, I mean, the 1880s were a pivotal time in American history because two things were happening. You right, you had the Industrial Revolution, mm. which meant railways, steel mining, all these things were kind of coalescing in a time to fill the coffers of the robber barons and the Wall Street tycoons in a way that we'd never seen before. You have mm. Scrooge McDuck levels of fortune. People are swimming <laughs> in gold pools. Sure. Um, but at the same time, it's 20 years about remove or 15 years from the Civil War, the American Civil War, which is probably the most profoundly destructive 
disruptive event in American history um, in terms of the lives lost, the property damage. But it's also really that positive for the Civil War was, of course, the um, uh, the end of slavery, mm. which meant that, you know, you have two things happening at once. You have people who are richer than ever and poorer than ever. And you have a society where upward mobility is actually achievable for people from all races and backgrounds. Which is why competing over an opera box is actually competing over the like your family's status, right? Like your your ability exactly. to elevate your entire family. Like this, all the symbols, actually they're not symbols at all. They're very literalizations of class mobility in that sense. Uh, one character that people talk about a lot is Peggy. Critics have pointed out how different Peggy is from a lot of other black characters that we typically see in period dramas. Who is Peggy and why is she significant? I love Peggy Scott. Um, she's played by Danae Benton, um, this wonderful Broadway actress, and she is this intelligent, feisty, ambitious um, writer, journalist. And mm. she is also, you know, as you mentioned, a Black character. And she comes from the Black elite. She is not, you know, impoverished. She has not recently, um, you know, gotten out of slavery. She has been raised in luxury in Brooklyn. She has been raised to believe in her worth. And um, she doesn't see herself as necessarily unequal to mm. her white best friend, Marion. Brooke. Um, she's also, you know, there is some criticism that has been leveled, which is totally fair. Um, because she is a journalist and she's the black character, the onus is put upon her to sort of give the other characters reality checks from time mm. and again to really show the dissonance between the haves and the haves nots, the racism that's happening this season. She goes to Tuskegee and encounters, you know, a, a, a clan basically a situation. She's almost lynched. Um, meanwhile, yeah. Marion Brooks' big drama was uh, a handsome rich man proposed to her and she wasn't quite sure she wanted to marry him. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I love Peggy because what she represents, but also she hints at the fact that there were black elites in America, and that's something that we don't often see on our TV screens. Now, here's the thing about this show, is that critics, first of all, critics are mad about it for all kinds of reasons, which is interesting to me. It is a show that is occupying, you know, the 9 p.m. slot on Sunday nights for HBO. Typically, this is like the prestige slot. But also, the writer's strike um, and the actor's strike might have changed their schedule up just a little bit. I'm not sure this would have been a Sunday at 9 p.m. show before that. But let's talk about one of the many reasons that critics are mad about the show is that it, they say there's a lot of inaccuracies in the Gilded Age. They say that it's like a watered-down, romanticized version of what life would have been really like at that time. Is that a fair criticism, do you think? Oh, yeah. I think it's totally fair. I mean, I think this, first of all, isn't a history lesson. It's a fun, silly drama for people to watch, right. um, to take their mind off their their, their days. Um, you know, Julian Fellows makes it hard for himself because he does try to weave real historical figures into the plot um, without really doing much more research on a Wikipedia check. Um, like, we meet Emily Roblin this season, and it's made to look as though she single-handedly designed the Brooklyn Bridge, when in reality, she was more of a project manager. She was a brilliant woman but like she wasn't the engineer or the architect who designed it she was just kind of keeping everything on schedule right. which is important but you know details just details <laughs> um and for instance too they have t thomas fortune a real black journalist as a main character and he was peggy scott's love interest and then i you know, that didn't work out because they didn't realize when they wrote him into the plot he was married in that time so <laughs> that kind of ruined the romance um you know, again, it's it's fun. I think maybe it's better that, you know, um, I, I do think it's good. I applaud Julian Fellows for trying to nod at history to educate people because otherwise they might not know about Emily Roebling or T. Thomas Fortune. Sure. But, 
Yeah, it, he could do a little bit better with the research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, he could do better with the research. On the other, if you're designing a pyrodrama, like let Julian Fellows cook. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he's he's trying to import. Char- I I would hope that we know when we're sort of looking at our televisions that we are not looking at history. We're not looking at the literalization of history. Gilded Age is not a documentary, nor should it be. And if it was, then we'd be in a real big trouble. But I just got to ask you, I think a lot of people, you know, what people love about this show is what you mentioned, that it's silly, that it's fun. Uh, we're at a moment when The Crown just wrapped up, you know, uh, we're waiting on another Bridgerton. How do you think we should view The Gilded Age next to these other period dramas? It's a very interesting question. I mean, I've watched period dramas since I was a small kid, and I will say I've noticed with the proliferation of streaming and the popularity of period dramas, they have gotten a little watered down in terms of quality. Not mm. in budget. Budget, they look great. They look better than ever. They're more experimental than ever. They're more creative than ever. But we've definitely moved away from the BBC austere productions of Jane Eyre <laughs> of your, or yes. like the very like deep, um, you know, traumatic storytelling of the Foresight Saga. Sure. This is literally a dress up soap opera. Um, right. It's it's a gilded lily, literally speaking. Like it's just it, take it, it and enjoy it is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not meant to be. I think the high prestige, but again. <laughs> I used to get into arguments with people because I didn't think Downton Abbey was prestigious. So, yeah. (laughs) Okay, you know what? It does look prestigious, but it's not necessarily prestigious. Megan O'Keefe, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you and this guided tour to the Gilded Age. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Of course. Megan O'Keefe is a Gilded Age super fan and senior critic at Decider.com. And that is it for the podcast today. Listen, my name is Alameen Abdul-Mahmoud. I'm going to be here tomorrow. If you're going to be here tomorrow, I would love to see you then. Thank you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.